The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Financial News Edition. Um, I'm Alex Daniel, crypto correspondent for Financial News. Uh, Today with me is Gwendolyn Regina, Investment Director for Finance, and Ari Redboard, Head of Legal and Government Affairs at TRM Labs. Uh, Welcome, Gwen and Ari. Thanks so much for joining me today. We're going to talk about the crypto winter. Um, Various major players in the space have gone bust already. Crypto prices have bombed and nobody seems to know what's happened next. That's why we've got you both on the call. Um, The first thing I wanted to ask is quite a short and sharp question to you both. Um, As crypto sort of nosedived over the second quarter, what, Gwen, firstly, would you say was the most worrying moment, uh, the most worrying event from an industry perspective? Thank you, Alex. Great question. So in crypto, we've had several black swan events. So I would say my my key, the most worrying one over the last uh, quarter was, was the Luna crash, so USD crash as well. So it really showed that how an experiment that was so promising in nature, right, underlying everything is tokenomics just didn't work out. Then you have more black swan events, like three hours capital being liquidated and stuff like that. So the most surprising thing is by is, is other black swan events, which are by definition surprising. Sure. And Ari, what about you? Yeah, you know, I, I'd agree with Gwen, but I, I'd say this. Look, there have been a number of events over the course of, you know, the last you know several months and obviously prior to that. Um, but the reason sort of Luna stands out for me is 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 quite frankly just the consumer protection aspect of it, right? You know, real people were dramatically affected, and I think when I look at sort of you know the real events that have had an impact over the last few months, um, you know, those that really affected average investors, you know, folks who had um, you know invested in Terra and and other sort of stablecoin projects. Um, that said, and we're gonna this is I know we'll dive into this in a moment. Uh, that's re- really where regulators are focused now as well. Sure thing. Um, and just before we move on, um, I just want to remind the audience that you can submit questions via the Barons Live chat on uh, on this uh, webinar. So please do feel free. Uh, we've already got had a couple come in already, which, will, which we will get to shortly. Um, my next question, I just wanted to start with you, Gwen. Um, we've spoken to many institutional investors um, at FN, um, and they say their trust in the sector has been sort of shaken. Their trust in crypto as a sector has been shaken over the last couple of months. Um, I wondered how long you think this storm is likely to last. Um, Obviously, don't have to be too precise about that, but and how should the industry move past this to try and regain um, institutional confidence? So I would say that we shouldn't have been surprised that this winter is here markets go up and down, right? And in crypto, we've been seeing much more like four-year cycles. So in fact, this time, crypto winter started, has been long overdue, but kind of like towards like four or five-year kind of mark from the last peak, the last the last crash and the last, you know, cycle. So I'm not surprised at all. I think when you go, when we talk about institutional confidence, I would say, look at the, look at how the industry has really grown over the last um, 12 years, 
12, 13 years since Bitcoin first kind of, you know, was, was invented. And you now have more and more institutionals involved, more and more retail investors in the market. I would say that the general industry has gotten a much more, um, they're much more knowledgeable about what's happening, not just in crypto, but also the underlying technology that is blockchain. Right, because when you talk about crypto, an, um, a retail user may just know about about thinking about investing and stuff like that. As Ari said, that's important, right? Because um, capital goes through innovation. Innovation needs capital to also innovate. Um, but I would say, if you look at a larger picture, if you look at the underlying technology and not just the uh, daily narratives, you know, around prices and stuff like that, there are solid projects being built. There is solid innovation, you know. On a daily basis, I meet and talk to many projects and builders and entrepreneurs, especially in a bear market in the winter. It's actually great because, you know, valuations are down. People are much more realistic. They are less hypey, right? Because in crypto, as you all know, it's driven much more by by narratives rather than fundamentals so it's a very different um a way a different market so looking at a longer term i would say that for in terms of confidence if you really look at underlying tech and look at be on the ground and talk to builders you will see innovation and that should give you more confidence that this sector while it's winter now summer will come soon yeah, I, I would just add to that. I think what we're seeing right now is just extraordinary building. And to Gwen's point, and I think she really nailed it, this is an entirely different time for the space than it was a few years ago. Um, you know, what we are seeing, you talk about institutional investors or institutional engagement, right? We're seeing every major financial institution in the world today at some part, at some place in their crypto journey. That is an entirely different world than we were in, you know, four or five years ago. I uh, I moderated a panel a month or so ago in London. And you had the uh, the heads of digital assets from State Street and DNY Mellon and Goldman. I mean, these players are entirely different than uh, sort of what was in, you know, crypto, you know, 1.0, uh, you know, five or six years ago when, when we saw this type of downturn. So I, I agree. I think it's a combination of just institutional engagement is going to actually continue. And to Gwen's point, we're, we're still still seeing building. And sometimes, honestly, like there's this adage about the winter being the best time to build. I think there's something very real about that because I think we may be seeing a winnowing out of sort of less uh, sophisticated sort of projects, but out of this sort of out of the ashes, I think we'll see a very different sort of cryptoverse than what we had seen sort of, you know, five years ago come out of that winter. Mm -hmm. And obviously something else that has been prompted as well as building by sort of the, the recent crash has been a sort of uh, hunger for more regulation. Um, we saw a new set of rules approved in the EU last week. Um, I wondered on a kind of more US and UK centric level as well, um, and of course the EU, uh, what does the market crash mean sort of in the long term for the regulatory landscape um, and the kind of the low valuations around now and every, um, I guess, starting with you? Sure. Yeah, no. And, and obviously, this is a really interesting moment. What I think it's like a little stepping back for some perspective too, right? We are seeing this moment, this this crash, we're seeing, you know, stable coins like, like Terra um, collapse. Um, but at the same time, that is not what has started the sort of regulatory push. I think there's a little bit of sort of happenstance around this too. I mean, Mika, which you mentioned, which is the um, markets in um, uh, the markets in crypto assets uh, law out of the EU, has been in the works for two and a half years. Um, and finally, we, we got to the finish line really mostly because of a political dynamic where the French presidency of the EU parliament wanted to finish this out as opposed to the Czechs. 
Uh, so that had nothing to do necessarily with the downturn and everything to do with this has been something that has been moving, moving over the course of a couple of years. Um, you know, similarly, um, we started to see regulators globally focus on stable coins around 2019 when Facebook sort of now defunct Libra project launched and tried to get a license essentially in Switzerland. Um, we saw Swiss regulators really the first to kind of delve into stable coins and some of this stability, stability and risks associated with that. We then in the United States saw uh, the president's working group out of the U.S. Treasury Department write a white paper on the topic. We, in, in, you know, even a, a year or more ago, we saw e, uh, U.K. financial regulators, HM Treasury and others, uh, sort of put forth what would make sense from a risk perspective on stable coins. So this is not necessarily new. Um, and it's something that regulators have been thinking about for a while. I will say that if they hadn't been, we would see a scrambling right now, which we haven't seen. Uh, just to kind of put a point on it, there has been movement, though, right, because of this. For example, the UK came out a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, how should we handle the failure of a crypto project in the wake of Terra, right? And essentially that meant, uh, to HM Treasury at least, what that meant is the Bank of England should step in and uh, bring in an administrator to figure out, hey, is this a, a consumer protection issue where we need to make consumers whole? Or is this a real systemic risk? Is this too big to fail? And we need to sort of prop it up in that in that way. Um, so we've seen a ton of movements from regulators. Some has been targeted on the crypto sort of downturn, but quite honestly, a lot of it is just playing itself out over the course of you know a couple of years now. And I remember when, when that UK uh, piece of, um, that, that uh, UK piece of documentation came out uh, about two weeks after the Lunar Terror collapse. Um, there was a lot of talk of, have they just rushed this out? Have they just kind of written this document super quickly? Obviously, they hadn't. I think you're well, quite you right. Know, about it's, it's, it's such a great question. You know, what's so interesting about that, I, I spent about 11 years at the US Treasury, uh, uh, at the US Department of Justice, and about two at the Treasury Department. And you can't win as a regulator. If, if you take time, Everyone says, well, the regulators are always falling behind the technology. And if you move quickly, it's have you not been thoughtful enough around this? I actually thought like to me, what, what Treasury did there in the UK was actually was, was pretty terrific. And, 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 you know, we don't think of, of governments as being typically nimble, but to actually kind of respond in almost real time uh, to something that was happening on the ground to consumers in the space. Um, and look, it, it was not a regulation. It was a consultation. And there'll be time for sort of that to play out, industry engagement. But uh, I love to see regulators move quickly. And I thought that was a great example of it. Gwen, we've got a question in from the audience um, that I just wanted to put to you. Um, Thomas asks, how big of a problem for the industry are the recent headline grabbing thefts of crypto from crypto exchanges and what's being done to address this issue? Um, I'll leave it with you. Yeah, that's a great question, Thomas. So in any kind of adoption of new technology, there will be risks across several domains. You have technology security risks just from the product itself. You have bad actors trying to exploit all these nascent technologies. So I would say, well, those are terrible, I myself have been victims, right, <laughs> in my, my, in my years. So we've all felt the burn. But it's part and parcel of a product, you know, getting adoption by, by the natives, I mean, the, the core users, the early adopters, and then to the market. So how does it affect is that to a wider audience, it can seem very, very scary and terrible. Lots of millions and millions and, you know, billions of dollars have been, have been um, stolen. 
Um, I would say the key thing here is that, again, to my previous point, looking at the underlying technology and realize that there are many um, players as well actively, you know, trying to do a few things. One, you know, trying to create even more technologies to have more privacy, security, um, you have, you know, for example, we talked about um, exchanges a little bit about um, on the centralized side of crypto. So exchanges, for example, so Binance is an example where with some hacks, you know, we try our best to to help the industry as well by giving, um, like for the lunar crash, you know, we gave some um, return back, some of them to the retail users, right? Even though it's not Binance's fault, as an example. So um, it has shaken some confidence. I can see that. Um, I'm, you know, very the opposite where in in a sense, um, while I, again, have been a victim, but it's really looking at the wider picture, which is that technology adoption has its, 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 its ups and downs. And so when we look at, I, I'm very bolstered by the what individuals as well as organizations are doing, where, you know, you are trying to work together as a community to, again, build new uh, products that tries to um, fix current problems and also uh, prevent future ones, right? So it's always about trying to get two steps ahead of um, the hackers. And you have white hackers, you know, white hat hackers kind of doing that, but also just in general, we run, for example, a lot of hackathons, we support a lot of hackathons, a lot of it of our privacy, security, um, and not just innovation. So we really want to um, help the industry as a whole innovate to protect what's now and what's in the future. Yeah, and just to add to that, I love what, what Gwen just said really across the board. Uh, that's what we do at TRM, right? We're a blockchain analytics company that works. Uh, we're we're anti-money laundering for crypto. So this is exactly what we do. We work with exchanges like Binance and others as their anti-money laundering solution to stop bad guys from taking advantage of their platforms. Uh, but, but what I say is really kind of interesting is there are a couple aspects to this, right? You work with government, you work with regulators, we work with law enforcement, um, but we've also formed uh, you know community groups. Uh, as Gwen mentioned, to really try to stop bad actors from taking advantage of the growing crypto economy. For example, we we at TRM, we've partnered with Binance, with Circle, uh, with a number of different um, crypto businesses on something called chain abuse, which is basically a resource uh, for individuals to um, crowdsource uh, hacks and scams and rug pulls uh, in crypto. And it's been a great source for investigations, um, but also sort of for, hey, look, if this happened to Ari, don't allow it to happen to Gwen or Alex. It's a real a way to sort of really, it's, it's you know, a ways uh, for, for, for crypto fraud and financial crime. So I think the, the one thing that's really important to mention is that, like, there are now ways to investigate and mitigate these risks like never before uh, that are only in crypto, right? You don't, you don't have an open ledger to track funds in uh, sort of the, the traditional financial system. That only exists um, on open blockchains. And I think that like, you know, obviously there are dangers and there are always of sort of a new economy as Gwen mentioned, but there are also sort of new tools to mitigate those risks. And to add on area, I really appreciate that you mentioned some examples, right? So on the decentralized side, um, sort of like concrete like Web3 side of things, for example, for BNB chain, which is the most used blockchain with 1 million daily active wallet addresses, you know, we partner with with auditing firms like PackShield, Certic. Uh, we partner with organizations also like RockDoc, 
where you know when something a project looks like basically there's a there's an algorithm there's, there's a team kind of really analyzing new projects and like giving a score whether this is potentially a, like scammy you know rug pull uh you know risk or not right so stuff like that we work um closely with these partners and next is that we are seeing more depths very very new depths who are doing on-chain monitoring Right, so using a history of the on-chain data and different wallet addresses and what have you to kind of have a score to predict. Okay, is this a potentially scamming address? Right, so you are seeing, you know, so like I guess every you're doing similar stuff and um and you know just a wider industry, right, where blockchain analytics, wallet analytics. Um, so that's very interesting stuff that we'll see coming up more. Sure, and that that all sounds really interesting. It sort of plays into my next question, I suppose, um, as does the regulatory point. Um, we ran a story recently based on something that the Bank of Institutional Settlements said last month. Um, they uh, ran a report that said that crypto's structural flaws, quote, run so deep that it is fundamentally unsuitable as a monetary system. Um, that is, even with regulatory oversight, uh, that they're predicting sort of in the future and it is partly down to the sort of the vulnerability of crypto to scammers and uh, the vulnerability that retail investors in particular have to scams. Um, what do you both make of the BIS's um, assessment of crypto as, uh, yeah, um, not um, fundamentally suitable as a monetary system? Yeah, I'll take a crack at that to start. And I love Gwen's perspective as well. Look, you know, as I mentioned, I spent about 11 years as a federal prosecutor. And I can tell you most of that time was was on money laundering and, and other types of, of crime. It usually involved bulk cash smuggling and networks of hawalas and shell companies and high value art and real estate, right? Um, there's no blockchain analytics. There's no TRM for these things. These do not happen on an open ledger, right? Where you can trace and track the flow of funds. Um, I think crypto allows for some unique ways to regulate, right? Um, you know, typically regulators have always been reliant on um, on their on intermediaries, you know, banks essentially filing uh, suspicious activity reports. Uh, what crypto allows for is regulators to actually, uh, you know, regulate their entire uh, e ecosystem in real time. Uh, you know, just based on the qualities of, of open blockchain. So I, I do reject the, the, the statement. I do think that, and part of this goes to this overarching theme of sort of crypto winter, right? We are in a winnowing out right now of, I think, of projects that maybe lend themselves to the types of vulnerabilities uh, that we're seeing. And I think sort of, as I mentioned, out of the ashes, I think we'll grow a much safer, um, sort of more sophisticated space where uh, you do have sort of hardened cyber defenses. You do have, you know, anti-money laundering regulation and the tools, um, you know, to, to do it. I also think you're going to see payments come out of this in a really meaningful way. I think today, uh, for better or worse, the, the use case, the first use case for crypto assets will have been as an investment mechanism, uh, you know, whether you consider them a security or not, right? That's how people today uh, see the crypto space. It's an investment, Bitcoin or Ethereum, or, or I'm going to, you know, the next Dogecoin. Um, I think out of this, will to some extent, we'll see a payment space. Um, we'll see faster, more seamless payments. And I think that's really the promise here. Um, but I do sort of to, to, to react to the, um, to the original um, question around BIS, look, I think that there are unique capabilities to regulate in this space uh, like we never have before. Yeah, to, to add on as well, you know, um, to Ari's points, um, all fantastic points. Taking another angle is that, 
there are many kinds of blockchain and crypto utilizations and, and companies and types of crypto coins. Not everything is going to be used as or good as a currency, for example, right? So all of them have different use cases. So I think broadly speaking, also definitely disagree. So I think then the question then is that which ones might be, right? Which use cases? So generally, you know, Bitcoin has been seen as, you know, much more of that digital gold, that that original potential cryptocurrency that you can really uh, pay. You know, we all know that El Salvador has, has adopted Bitcoin as a legal tender. You know, the experiment, I think it's, you know, still ongoing, right? Um, and it's slightly down in this winter market, but let's see, right? Because it is also this macroeconomic factors involved here. But when you talk about then, you know, adopting it across payments, as Ari kind of pointed out. So at Binance, for example, we have a few products that enables like something called Binance Pay. You know, just like you can pay with QR codes now using the different uh, Web2 wallets, right? Uh, same thing. With if a merchant were to have a Binance account and have that crypto that QR code, you can pay with crypto. What this means practically is a few things. One, if let's say if I were to travel to a country and I don't want to bring cash, maybe it's a last minute trip or something like that. I don't want to convert my cash to that country's uh, currency, um, but yet I have you know I, I mean I pay my credit cards maybe sure, but the other option is by paying by crypto. I just scan it if they do accept it, and then I can pay by crypto. So I think the use cases are you know are plentiful in terms of payment as a, as a key example. So while we're not seeing a super widespread adoption right now, we are seeing the beginnings of it. Like we are working with many different companies and even countries, for example, to figure that out. So I was in um, the Palau, um, the country, um, I, a series of islands uh, a few weeks ago where we launched Palau Web3 digital IDs on BNB chain. But what's important is that we also talk about how to enable wider crypto adoption. Uh, so we talked about Binance Pay as an example. So I think it would be very interesting when we look at this space. Fantastic. Absolutely. And I was just getting slightly distracted because I saw that another listener question has rolled in. Um, the first one that we've got is uh, from uh, Pierre, I believe. Um, what will the economic impacts on the crypto markets in view of the current strong geopolitical tensions be an incoming economic crisis due to inflation and a possible future global food crisis? Uh, he mentions the shortage of wheat and fertilizers. Um, I suppose this sort of plays into what you're talking about before as uh, whether and, and that debate that's been had about crypto as Bitcoin, especially as a hedge against um, sort of external economic factors, which uh, seems to have been sort of debunked in recent months. Um, what do you take on all of that? Since I'm unmuted, <laughs> let me first take a stab at that, at that question, right, Ari? So, um, yes, Bitcoin was seen as a hedge, but now we've seen it track the just general markets and macroeconomic um, factors and just everything's in tandem right now. So, yeah, that hasn't come true. Um, but when when you look then still at the larger picture, you know, again, we're still at, I don't know, day 10 of the of the crypto markets, right? So I think that's still room to kind of play in, uh, to, to play more of. So in terms of the geopolitical um, kind of factors, you know, when you see, again, countries, you know, with high inflation, um, you know, they have, they're more volatile, 
than crypto. Crypto is already very volatile, but some of these, uh, you know, native country uh, currencies are even more volatile. So in that sense, crypto is less volatile, which is which is weird to kind of say. So um, we do think that there's potential there in precisely why crypto is important because you do offer, you know, people an opportunity to have something a bit more, a currency that's a bit more global. You know, in some countries still, right, you have, it, because the, the inflation rates are so high, the, the local currencies, what they use to trade is like, I don't know, milk, you know, flour kind of thing, right? It's like physical items, right? That still has high inflation rates or they go bad because they're perishables, but even still better than currency. So why not then have um, cryptocurrency, which is again, more global. And Ari, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, no, all I would say, I, I, I do agree with Gwen, particularly on the nascent uh, industry piece, right? Like these are such early days, you know, we are pre first inning when it comes to sort of what this ultimately this space is going to evolve and look like. Um, and, and I think that like, as you said today, we are certainly tracking the global economy. And that makes sense just given where where sort of market conditions are, you know, across the globe. I will say that, look, at the end of the day, I truly do believe that the power of cryptocurrency is going to be cross border payments at the speed of the internet. And I think when you talk about sort of some of those issues that are happening globally, when you see what's happening in Ukraine and the ability to get funds at least coming there using crypto, I think there's there's an interesting use case coming out of all of this. It has not been nearly enough, um, and I think as we sort of as the space evolves, we'll see much more. Um, but it is it is interesting when you talk about sort of the geopolitical moment. I think we are seeing a little bit of a use case play out. But no, from an economic standpoint, obviously we're still tracking. You know, we're in a downturn, and so is the crypto market. And Absolutely. I think the, the key the key phrase I kind of wanted to, to kind of wrap up this this particular topic. I don't know, Alex, what you're thinking is that um, I think blockchain and crypto is about freedom of money, right? So at Binance is one of our like key tenants as well, which is that you know um, we have like an asset or currency that we hold, we can transfer it anywhere to anyone in the world at a fraction of the cost, right? So despite the, the institutions, you know, that maybe our money is locked in a bank and maybe now, you know, the again, the geopolitical situation might not be amazing, but with crypto, I can, you know, there's more freedom of money. So I think that's a phrase that we, we generally anchor ourselves on and transfer value. Absolutely. And uh, another question from the audience, which I think you've answered, but I'll just give a quick mention to, came from Neil. Um, who says if crypto begins to be regulated um, and has regulated ways of tracking it, doesn't it become like a fiat currency? If it becomes more like a fiat currency, what would motivate people to use it rather than a fiat currency? We've just gone through the use cases. I don't know if there's anything to add. Um, I, I to would add the only thing I would add is that crypto really is regulated. And I think that's what's sort of missing from a lot of the conversation. I mean, yes, Europe just adopted Nico, which is clearly um, the most comprehensive regulatory framework that hits sort of every aspect of this from environmental to um, consumer protection uh, to anti-money laundering. Um, but really like from a US perspective, for example, when you talk about anti-money laundering, which I think goes to some of the tracking that Neil is maybe getting to here, uh, if you are a cryptocurrency business in the US today or touches US persons, you are treated by the financial regulator, by treasury as a money service business. And what that means is you have to have compliance controls in place today. You have to have blockchain analytics like TRM. You have to file uh, suspicious activity reports with your regulator. You have to have a license. Uh, the New York Department of Financial Services came out recently and said, you must have a transaction monitoring solution if you want a license or be a licensed entity in New York. So the reality is, um, you know, 
the, the uh, exchanges today, crypto businesses are required to have these controls in place. They are regulated. Um, and But I, I think one thing that's really important is there, there is a difference between um, sort of understanding what the threat landscape is. You know, Binance today <laughs> uh, understands that sort of what is what are the risks associated with the wallets that it's engaging with because it uses tools like TRM. It does not know that it is transacting with Alex uh, necessarily. Obviously, uh, Binance would know that because of the KYC piece that it's doing. But 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 a tool like TRM is not sort of ingesting personal data. It's not tracking people's uh, you know uh, funds. So I think it's an important distinction to make. Um, crypto businesses today are regulated, and they are required to have these types of tools. Sure. And I'm going to throw the next. I'm going to throw the final question to Gwen because we're running. Uh, out Alex, of time. can can I? Oh, we are running out of time. Can I just quickly address that? Just because one theme we want to talk about in blockchain and crypto is that there's actually three segments. Centralized exchanges, the centralized side of blockchain and crypto. Decentralized side, because ultimately for Web3 and blockchain, the core tenant philosophy is decentralization. You know, there's some extremists, you know, and, and maximalists who's like, no KYC, no regulation, XYZ, right? We believe in a CDFI world, centralized, decentralized finance. So I think that's where we're kind of going towards. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as I said, we're running a little short of time. We've got two or three minutes left. Um, but final question has come in from Penny. Um, what three things can investors look out for, which will be signs that the crypto winter is lifting? Um, I'll start with you, Gwen, since you're unmuted. <laughs> well, three signs. Um, okay, this is not financial advice, but when you look at, um, I personally don't do technical analysis so much, but there's some signs that I think that's, that's broadly speaking, they are there. Um, second is that I go, you know, largely by, by again, a number of builders and, and seems so basic, but the amount of chatter online, it always seems as if I like once is like hype season and bull season coming up. I'm seeing my telegram groups and WhatsApp chats, chatter kind of coming up. That's, that's, but that's, you already involved in the industry, right? So I think for a person kind of general retail investor, I would say it's not to look at this ups and downs right, is to look past the winter, look past the summer and to take some effort to do, to self-educate, to go read up and then to, to understand, you know, you know, which coins or tokens you're buying, not just what the coin is, but what the project is about, what they're trying to do. So I want to take us away from looking at these signs, right, and to look at that because, again, ultimately my point earlier is that generally in crypto is about four year cycles so if you look at now as the start of the first four year cycle very broadly speaking you know summer might come again and you know like two and two, two three years so that's another gauge harry what do you think look as a prosecutor i definitely learned not to answer questions i, I don't know the answer to um so i'm going to stay far away from this one other than to say um you know, look, I, I think that what we will see come out of this is a very different sort of crypto economy. And I think it'll be more mature. I think it will be more regulated, quite frankly. Um, but I like when's uh, um, CD, uh, right? What is it? Centralized, decentralized finance. I like I like that a lot because I do think we're going to enter a world where there's all different aspects of this space from centralized exchanges to DeFi platforms to NFTs. Uh, all kinds of new use cases. Um, and I'm excited to see what that looks like. Um, but I do believe it's sort of we're all working together to build a safer, uh, you know, crypto financial system, to be sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it looks like we've got time to squeeze in one more question. And of course, we want to give our listeners good value for money. So 
Um, I've just got one about um, about sort of the companies and the way that they are acting in the space. Um, we saw Coinbase cut thousands of jobs, more than a thousand jobs, and various other people cutting hundreds of jobs recently, um, sort of as a result of the winter. Um, these numbers are kind of brutal. Um, Coinbase and a couple of others have admitted that they grew too fast in the bull market and are now having to cut back. I kind of wondered... I, I don't doubt that they're wrong, but what should companies like this be looking to do next time they're in a bull market um, as they're looking to grow fast? Um, should there be something that they, some precaution they should take? Um, what do you think? Uh, maybe I can start answering that first. Um, so Binance, we have talked about how we have, we have about 6,000 over people right now and we are hiring 2,000 more positions. So we aim to be about 8,000 plus uh, by the end of the year. And that's true that many, if you look online at many uh, openings, right? So I think for us, going back to your question, Alex, you know, it's always about, again, understanding their cycles. So I think in this previous bull market, um, you know, as, as an organization, as a community, you know, we've always been thinking about always about the fundamentals of when we're looking and investing in something. Like, again, what's good? Are they overpriced? Is the market hype just driving it up, right? Um, so we always try to look at that rather than just being pure narratives. Again, we understand that narratives drive the crypto market, but you always need to look at the tokenomics. We're always examining whether it makes sense. So I think that's very, very important. I'm not saying that the, that the rest of the industry hasn't, right? But for us in general, I would think it's always be wary as to how much hype there is in the market and take away take away some of that and try to look um, at first principles, essentially, at the projects and the fundamentals. Yeah, and I would I, I would defer to, to Gwen and, and agree with really a lot of her, her points. The only thing I would add to that one is, look, this is not a crypto issue, right? Um, this is sort of a market downturn issue. And companies tend to grow too fast in bull markets and then ultimately overcorrect in a downturn. You see that with the real estate market. You see that in all kinds of other markets, as you know, Alex, from all the other work that you do. Um, so I, I would just say this is not necessarily a crypto specific issue. But I think, look, I mean, I think staying lean and mean um, is probably something that a lot of these companies will look to as they um, as we hit a, a, a bull market. But at the same time, this is a cycle you see we've seen always, uh, you know, with, with businesses. Absolutely. I, I want to end on a positive note. Um, just really quickly, what are the positives that you can both take from this first half of the year? It's been tough, but um, what would you pick? What would you pick out? Yeah, I'll, I'll kick that up. Look, I'm a, I'm a very positive guy for anyone who knows me, and I, I think we're I think we're actually going to see a really extraordinary moment in this space where we get out of this winter into, as I said, a much more mature financial system um, that you know has regulatory oversight. But look, even regulators have moved dramatically from hey, we need to ban this technology to we need, um, you know, to to regulate um, in responsible ways to not stifle innovation. You see out of the U.S., the executive order talks about the need for U.S. leadership in this space. Right. That's not about banning this technology or shutting it down. You see the same kind of message coming out of the U.K. Look, the EU just passed very, very responsible yet yet tough crypto regulation. So I think we're going to see a more highly regulated space, but at the same time, hopefully, and I believe we will, enough room for real innovation to continue at the speed of the internet. So I'm excited. I get that this has been a terrible moment and people have lost money and jobs. Um, but I also think uh, out of this, we'll see kind of, I think the financial system that we envisioned in some respects, you know, a few years ago. Um, agree with everything what Ari said. I think the last point I'll, I'll add to is that despite all these massive Black Swan events that's happened and this blow ups that's happened this this first half of the year, we're still around. 
right? While again, market downturn, crypto market down as well, less than one trillion, you know, what have you from an all time high of like three, three trillion, we're still around, right? And again, you know, if you're on the ground, you're looking at builders, there is good stuff happening. Consolidation will happen as it should happen. And you get rid of, you know, ex like overhyped valuations or overhyped, you know, just narratives, right? You get to the core. So super excited about what's being built now and, and seeing more people on the ground just doing things. And again, very excited again to see how this will evolve and what new projects will emerge uh, for, the, for the next uh, cycle. Absolutely. We're, we're reaching, hopefully, by the sounds of it, reaching sort of uh, the kind of the, the nadir of the market, which means the only way is up, right? Um, that's all we have time for today, unfortunately. Um, thanks so much, Gwen and Ari, for being with us. And thanks so much for tuning in to everyone in the audience and for your very intelligent questions. Um, we hope to listen. We hope you can listen to our next episode tomorrow. Um, that will be with Barron's senior managing editor, Lauren Rublin, and healthcare industry reporter, jo Josh Nathan Kaziz who are going to discuss the outlook for healthcare stocks and the latest news on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Um, thank you again for listening today, everyone. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.